0: So today we're going to finish up the book of James, all right? We've been in James for 10 weeks, and next week we start a new series, and it's Tittlewith. Everybody say, Tittlewith. Tittlewith. And so that's taken from Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. And again, if you remember my testimony, I grew up in church, and when I was in the fifth and sixth grade department, our department director was the pastor's mom. We called her Grandma Oster. I think she was like 150 years old. That's what it seemed like when we were in fifth and sixth grade. But Grandma Oster, I mean, everybody loved Grandma Oster. And so some people say, you know, you got to be a certain age to work with young people. and that no, no. If you have a heart, man, if you have a heart for Jesus, you can work at anybody. And, old Grandma Oster would always hold her hand up every Sunday, every Sunday. Maybe it was the only two verses she knew, but she would quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 every single Sunday. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I didn't know what that meant as a 5th and 6th grader. But years later, I had the privilege of speaking at Grandma Oster's funeral. Her, 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 dad, her son, the pastor, asked me to speak. What a privilege. Guess what I shared? I held my hand up over her earth suit, trembled a little bit, and I quoted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And years ago, when I was at Fairview, I did a series on Tittlewith, and I can't find any of the notes. I have no notes whatsoever. I just remember the title, Tittlewith. And Chuck Pierce, who's the campus pastor at Gerald, he was the youth pastor at Fairview when I did Tittle with, and when he started his home improvement business, guess what he called it? <laughs> tittle With Home Improvement. And everybody's, I'm sure people are thinking, what is that? Anyway, that's what, that's what he named it, Tittle With Home Improvement, so... Uh, During the month of August, we're going to be going through a journey on trusting God. And it's amazing. Isn't it crazy how sometimes God brings us back to a simple truth that we learned when we were young? And, And right now, one of the things that God's dealing with me about is just trusting Him. And I found out it's easier to sing, trust and obey... And to actually trust when you're when you're out there going through the storms, and so we're going to begin a journey, and so on on tittle with, and so I'm kind of excited to see what I'm going to teach. I'm not really sure, but uh, I got a lot of things in my mind. Again, it's something God's working with me on, and so I'm I'm looking forward to being able to share some of that with you. All right. So today we finish up the book of James. It's been a blessing for me to be able to do a little tag team preaching with Bob and Brad and Brett. I feel like my name should start with a B. But anyway, uh, those guys did an amazing job. Brett last week uh, did the first part of James 5. And so we're going to not only finish the fifth chapter of James, we're going to finish the book. And it's interesting that James ends with something that's really, really passionate with himself the whole book of James is an incredibly practical book many people think James is their favorite book of the Bible because it is so practical on how to to live the Christian life that godly faith really does work when we're out there in the storms or whether we're in here among the church godly faith really does work but he gives an element here as he closes the book He gives an element that's really, really important to him personally, and we know this from history. And so let's read the text together, and then uh, we'll just kind of break it apart a little bit. I'm going to read the black, and you guys read the red. As I've shared in the first two services, because I'm a little bit colorblind, I need to pick two different colors, because sometimes black and red looks close to me if it's a dark red. And so if I read a little bit into the red, you guys just jump in with me, all right? Or if you're colorblind, just read as you feel led, all right? Just kind of jump in there. But we're going to read together verses 13 through 20, kind of break it apart and just see a real passion from the author and, and of, of James. All right, so I'll read the black, you guys read the red or anywhere in between, just jump in. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Very good. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land. Brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he... So James ends the book of James with, again, something that's really, really passionate to him as he's encouraging these Jewish believers who are scattered and they're living under tremendous persecution. I know we in America may have it hard and there's a song one day at a time that says, Lord, it's worse now than then, no way. It's not worse now than then. Back then, they got tortured. They got killed. I mean, they had it tough. And by the way, around the world, that is happening today. It's just we in America have not really been exposed to the kind of torture that sometimes happens. But there's one theme that runs through the book of James when he talks about living in trials, the power of words, the importance of the body of Christ, not judging one another in church, that friendship with the world is enmity with God, that not to uh, judge someone according to what they're worth or not worth. And the one thread that goes through everything is prayer. He ends with a subject that's incredibly important to him, all right? And so I want to ask you guys, and we're going to obviously talk about prayer today in case you're wondering. And so how do we how do we live it out there in the world? How do we make it in the body of Christ? James is going to emphasize prayer. All right? I want to ask you a question. What do you see here? Now in the first service they said, I see a turtle. I see a turtle with a hangnail or some kind of a toenail. Someone uh, said they just saw some hair. I wanted to make it small enough where you really couldn't quite tell what it is. But this is one of the things we're going to talk about today. All right, let me open it up a little bit. I didn't really expect you to know what it was unless you talked to somebody in one of the earlier services and they told you. But let me widen it out just a little bit. So we're talking about camel knees here. And so camels, I don't know anything about camels. I grew up in the city, but I know that when you go over to Israel and you get to ride the camel, they all have enormous knees, very callous knees, all right? And the reason for it is, is they kneel down over and over and over and over and they develop these camel knees. Now you say, why would, why would we be talking camel knees? Because the Bible doesn't tell us, but history tells us that James had a nickname. And James' nickname was Camel Knees. And the reason he got that nickname, according to history, he was such an incredible man of prayer. You know, I, I want to I go on record as saying that I, I can, I mean, I would love to do a series on prayer. I love to teach on prayer. I mean, I have some amazing truth on prayer. But one of the things that I struggle with is really praying like I should. I know a lot about it. I'm kind of like the disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray or don't teach us about prayer, but teach us to pray. The disciples knew when they hung around Jesus, there was something about his prayer life that was different than theirs. And I believe James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, I believe he understood the power of prayer. And so when he emphasizes prayer to end the book of James, I want you to know in the back of your mind, he's not teaching something he doesn't practice. I mean, he was such a man of prayer that he was called camel knees because he had such calluses on his knees from kneeling down in prayer. Now, I believe you can pray with your eyes open. Jesus oftentimes would lift his eyes toward heaven. So I think it's okay to pray with your eyes open. I don't think there's a wrong way to pray. But there is a time that we bow down in just kind of humility before God. And sometimes they would raise their hands and kneel down and raise their hands as just a way of surrender to God. But James is going to emphasize prayer. How do we survive? How do we make it out there in the world? How do we survive in the church? Prayer. Prayer is such an emphasis to James, all right? So let's break it apart a little bit. He says, first of all, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That word suffering means affliction, trouble, Uh, suffering in difficult circumstances it doesn't mean that God's punishing you and, and that's why you're going through difficult times you may be right in the middle of God's will and all these things are coming against you you say how are we to respond when the storms of life hit James says pray I mean, man, go to God. Don't live one day in your own strength. Don't think you can do it one moment of one day without God. And isn't it crazy how difficult life is? I wish we went from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. That's how I would have designed the Christian life. I mean, it would have been so much easier to just go from one goosebump to another goosebump to another goosebump. And I'm thankful for the mountaintops, but can we be real that most of life is in the valleys, the storms, the struggles. And James says one of the reasons is we need to pray. We need to know, and we need to surrender to God, that God, we can't do it one moment of one day without you. So if you are suffering... Pray. Don't do it alone. And again, sometimes we say, and I don't know, I've said it myself, I shouldn't have, but sometimes we say, well, all we can do now is pray. I've exhausted everything I know to do. I guess I'm going to go to God. Shouldn't that be the first choice of praying about it and going to God? I love how the psalmist says, many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them him." out of them all God is faithful God will see us through we're all in a process of becoming more like Jesus and God uses the storms the difficulties in life to make us who we are and to remind us that we can't do this thing without him you know there's a hymn we sing we sang a lot of hymns today what a friend we have in Jesus and I just want to remind you, for many this will be familiar, but one of the verses, let's kind of look at a couple of the verses. I would sing it for you, but it may not be the same. Uh, Rick's going, no, no, please don't. All right. So let's just read the verses together, a couple of verses out of What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged Boy, what beautiful words, man. Never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I appreciate Bob down here on the front row. And I know Bob and them have been through their share of the storms. And I have the privilege of being friends with him on Facebook. And so he starts off almost every day, man, let's go get them, God. Gathered new day. Let's go get them. No matter how bad it is, he always starts with a prayer. And I want to tell you, that ministers to me, and I appreciate that. You may have to do it with gritted teeth sometimes, but I mean, he starts every day off. Man, God, let's go get him, and we need God's help. Another verse says, let's read together. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it in prayer. And so I want to do a minute, and today's service be a little bit different, a little bit of interaction. I want you to take just a minute because all of us here, and even though you guys look like you're all on a mountaintop, you guys all look like you got it all together, I know that there's difficulty. I know there's storms, and you're either in one, headed for one, or just came out of one. But let's just take a minute. Can we just go to the Lord and just let God know we don't want to live today without Him? We don't want to face one thing in our own wisdom, our own strength, but we just want to take it to Him. Now, I'm just going to kneel down. Again, you can look up if you want. There's no right or wrong way to pray. You know, Paul says that he wished that men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Because sometimes when people raise their hands, it makes some people doubt, some people angry. But again, there's no right or wrong way to pray. But I want us to take just a moment. Let's stop for about 20, 30 seconds. No matter what you're going through in your life, I want you to take just a little bit of time, and would you let God know that you cannot do it without Him. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, that we can't make it one day without you. And I pray that we would know the heart of James, who knew what it was to kneel in prayer and every day depend on your strength. And I pray that we would not ever, ever try to make it one day or one hour in our own strength. And so we just bow before you this morning, and we confess that without you, we can do nothing. And yet through you, we can do all things. I'm not asking you to take us out of the storms, but Father, in the middle of the storms, may we experience your grace. And so we look to you for strength, for wisdom, for help. In Jesus' name, amen. So he says, if you're you're afflicted, pray. Go to God. And so he's ending this book, and he's encouraging them to stay connected to God. No matter what you're going through, stay connected. If you're afflicted, pray. And then he goes on to say, if you're cheerful, sing psalms. And can I just stop? And even though life is difficult, we in America are so incredibly blessed. Wow. Man, when I see pictures from El Salvador, from Mexico, and, and know how difficult it is around the world, you know, sometimes we complain because our second or third car, the air conditioner's not working. I don't have my favorite food. I, I mean, we got all, we open up our refrigerator, our, our cupboards, and, and we have plenty there, but we just don't have the one thing I really want. We in America are so incredibly blessed. I love how the psalmist says, Psalms 145, let's just read together. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. And then in Psalms 147, it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. You know, learning to praise God and learning just to stop and give thanks is so important. You know, sometimes I'm like the nine lepers who were healed and forget to come back and just say thanks. Every day, the Bible says, we're to praise the Lord. And so I want, again, just to pause for just a moment. I'm going to ask David, if he will, to come up here. And and so whether you're here, whether you're in the live stream, wherever you are, let's just take a moment right now. And just love on God for his goodness. So I've asked David to lead that. And so let's just take a moment, if you feel comfortable, to raise a hand. Matter of fact, if you're able, if you don't mind standing, and if you, if you can't stand, obviously stay seated. But let's stand, let's raise a hand or two to God, and let's just love on God for his goodness for just this moment. Let's thank him. Lord, we praise you. Alleluia, Lord. If you're suffering if you're afflicted pray if you're cheerful praise you know there should always be a response back to God no matter what we're going through and I think praise is a part of prayer I think learning to love on God and just thanking for his goodness and then he gets into an area if anyone among you is sick if you're physically sick he says call For the elders. Now, I want to share, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts and my opinions on this, and it may be different than how you think and how you see it, and you can straighten me out after the service, all right? But when I was a young pastor, I remember uh, at Gerald, uh, one of our campuses, 22 years old, somebody called me one Saturday and said, I'd like to bring somebody and have you anoint them with oil tomorrow in church. I said, Sure. And then I hung up and said, I've I've never seen that. I mean, I grew up in church, and and it may have been taught. How many of you know I slept through some things? I played connect the dots, hangman. I knew how to get through a sermon. I probably missed a lot of things, but I don't remember ever seeing our church that I grew up ever anoint anybody with oil. Now, I found out later That did happen, but not at church, and I wasn't taught anything about it. I didn't know if you used vegetable oil, Crisco, STP. I didn't know what you used. I don't even know what I brought that day. It could have been motor oil. I don't remember. But we anointed them with oil in the name of the Lord. I'm going to give you some of my thoughts and some of my opinion. By the way, I I think anyone can anoint with oil. I don't think it has to be the elders. Now, in this particular case, and I'm going to give you my opinion why it was the elders, but I think anybody that's a believer can anoint somebody with oil and pray for them. When Jesus sent out the disciples in Mark chapter 6, which we're looking at on Wednesday nights, one of the things he sent them out, the Bible says they went out and anointed with oil many who were sick And healed them. So I think that was a part of discipleship, was going out and anointing with oil. So I I think it's okay for any believer to anoint somebody with oil. Now I remember. Ed Young, Ellen's husband who passed away, but Ed Young, I love Ed Young. If you've ever met Ed Young, he was just a free spirit. I mean, and so I remember one Sunday he was in the back, where back where Herb is, and I said, man, you could hear a lot better preaching if you stayed at home. And Ed goes, you're not lying there, brother. <laughs> I go, Ed, not now, baby, not now. But Ed was so, I mean, I just love Ed Young. And Ed would come in, if he had a cold, if he had a fever, he'd come in with a bottle of oil. He'd come in the office, Pastor, need to be anointed, need to be prayed for. So we'd always stop whatever we're doing, pray for Ed. Now I want to say, just in my experience in the Baptist realm, sometimes we wait till on our deathbed to come and be anointed with oil. And can I tell you that many of the people we've anointed with oil have died. But I'm not discouraged I think we still pray we still anoint we still follow the Bible and whether they're healed or not is between them and God but I believe God can also heal as well but I mean our our job is just to be obedient to the word and not be afraid of it all right but again I'm just telling you I wasn't taught much I didn't know much but I'm, I'm learning along the way so I'm going to share a little bit of my heart about this situation And I would love to hear your thoughts, all right? So he says, let the elders come and pray over this person, all right? Now, I'm just going to give you some thoughts. Why would they call the elders in this particular case? I believe as we get into the text, and we're not there yet, but I believe in this particular case, there's somebody who has sinned against the church and the reason they're calling the elders, I think James is saying you need to make sure that it's right with the body of Christ. Now, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to tell you why as we get into this. I think we can anoint and pray for anybody, but in this particular case, the reason he's asking for the elders to come is because this person has a sin, maybe openly sinned, against the body of Christ, all right? I'm giving you my thoughts. And he says, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, those of you who have studied this passage would say that word anointing is really a medical term. And it's a word which can also be translated massaging. So it's a word that certainly could be used. How many of you have ever put on some Bengay? massaged it into the arm, all right? Now, certainly this word could apply to that, that word anointing. Now, I don't believe that's what James is saying. I don't believe James is saying, call the elders to come and rub on some Bengay. I can do that myself, all right? Now, I think it's okay if they want to. I've never had a, a, an elder come and say, hey, can I just come and Rub on some Bengay. Now, that, that word could be used there, but I think it's a symbolic term because it's not the anointing of oil, but it's the prayer of faith that saves the sick. If, if, if the oil, if it was used in that word, it would say the anointing is going to really help you out. You get that Bengay worked in there, it's going to really make you feel better. Even though they anoint with oil, which I think is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, acknowledging that God alone heals. Again, the word can be used for that. and In Luke chapter 10, I gave you a verse that's not on your notes. But remember when the good Samaritan went by and the Bible says he poured oil and wine on the womb? I think in that case, it was to help heal. And so sometimes that word can be used to rub something in, and to bring healing. But notice he says here, it's the prayer of faith that will save the sick. So why does God want us to anoint with oil if it's the prayer of faith that saves the sick? I think it's a symbolic thing, and I want to be obedient to the Word of God. I think it's okay to anoint with oil as long as we understand the oil has no power. It's the prayer of faith that will save the sick. And you say, well, what if if they're not healed? Well, that's between them and God. I want to be obedient to God, and I believe that people will be healed the more we practice the Word of God. I'm just that naive to believe that God is big enough. And notice he goes on to say, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And a literal translation of that is, if he has been constantly sinning. So this is why I believe, I'm giving you my opinion in this particular case, James is talking about a brother or sister who has openly sinned and caused hurt to the church. That's why they're asking the elders to come. Why? Because they're to make it right with the church. You know, if we openly offend the church, we need to make it right with the, the spiritual leaders of the church. So they call for the elders to come And again, I think it's okay to call the elders and pray for you if you haven't sinned against the church. But I think it's okay to call your Sunday school class and have them come and anoint you with oil. I think that's okay too. I don't think you're ever going to go wrong being prayed for. But in this particular case, it says if he has been constantly sinning, which makes me believe in context of the passage that it's someone who has openly sinned against the church and they're wanting to make it right. And can I tell you how beautiful that is? Sometimes if if we offend the church or they offend us, the easiest thing to do is move membership. I'm going to find me a perfect church. The only way it's perfect if you don't join it, amen. <laughs> We're all a work in progress. And I'm so glad God designed the church where we need each other. Whew. I don't know how many people have said to me, Pastor, I can go to church, I can go to heaven without the church. I said, You sure can. You won't enjoy it much, but you can do it. I tell them, you can be ma- married and never go home. technically you'd still be married, but you wouldn't have much of a a life. Now, I know you all don't believe that because you're here on Sunday morning. And can I tell you, there's not a person here that could not have stayed home and said, I have every right to stay home because I've been burnt by church. I know it. But can I tell you, why do we come back? Because there's something inside that knows that God designed this thing where we need the church. And I think James is saying that if you have openly sinned and offended the church, make it right. I want to tell you, it's a lot easier to move membership than to make it right. But he's talking again about prayer and praying for one another and making things right in the journey that we're on. He goes on to say, confess your sins, your faults, trespasses, some translations, to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, some of the healing takes place when we just flat out confess. Now, let me give you again my opinion since I'm up here. I'm just giving you some opinions from my study. I don't think James is saying, and there, and there was a group that used to go around and do uh, kind of like revivals, and one of their big deals, this particular group, and I won't say who they are, but they would almost, one night, they would try to encourage everybody in the church to stand up and unload all of their sins publicly. Wow. I missed that night. I would never go that night. <laughs> that I didn't want to hear. I just didn't want to get up and unload. And how many of you know not everybody was truthful? No. Now, I'm giving you my opinion. I think the confession should only be as public as the offense. Now, if you've sinned against the church, you need to get up and confess it in front of the church. If I've sinned against Bob, I don't need to unload that on everybody. I need to go to Bob and make it right. If I've sinned against the Sunday school class, let me get some water here. If I've sinned against the Sunday school class, I need to go to that Sunday school class and make it right. Now, there is an occasion where God may lead somebody to get up and share something very, very personal. I remember when a guy got up one time and shared that he was struggling with pornography. Now, I don't normally recommend that, but I believe God led him to share because when he shared, man, you could just feel the Spirit of God. And after the service, people started coming up to me and saying, man, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Somehow, when he got real, it kind of freed everybody else to be real. But for the most part, the mo- man, my, my personal opinion for the rule of thumb is, The confession should only be as public as the sin. But I think he was saying the reason he was calling the elders is because I think this person had openly sinned against the church and he was wanting to make it right. I wonder what would happen if we, along the journey, would make things right when we've been offended. And you know, the Bible says, if somebody has ought against you, you're to go to them. I think they ought to come to me. If they've offended me, they ought to come to me. That's not what Jesus said. If you know a brother has ought against you, you're to go to that brother and make it right. How many of you know it's easier to sing victory in Jesus than actually get it all right? But James is talking about prayer and praying for one another. There needs to be a natural healing in the body of Christ. And that does when we begin to to confess to those we have wronged and make things right along the journey. That's tough. So he says again, confess your sins, pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he goes on to talk about uh, being sick. He says, make it a habit to confess your sins to each other. Literal translation. Make it be a part of your lifestyle is to make it right. Because in this journey, even though we don't, I don't think most people intentionally, sometimes we step on each other's toes, right? I, ha- I remember talking to a pastor one time, and he said to me, we don't have any problems at our church. We don't have any problems. I said, really? And then he said to me later, would you pray for our church? It's deader than a doornail. (laughs) And here's what I discovered. There are no problems in a cemetery. Nobody's offending one another in the cemetery. So the only church that's not really offending anybody is a dead church. But again, God allows us to make it right as we go along the journey. And then he talks about praying for our nation. I love Elaine Davis. She said to me, uh, I think it was Wednesday, I'm not sure, but she God kind of gave her a vision how we need to pray for ourselves, our family, and our nation. Now, many people would say, what can one person really do to help our nation? I want to give you some good news a lot. And so James says, one person that really believes in prayer, one person that has camel knees and will stay on their knees and pray to God, one person can make a difference. That's pretty exciting. He says, the earnest prayer of one righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's the New Living Translation. I love the way it says it. Let's read it together. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. One person who will pray and commit to be a person of prayer can make a difference in this nation. And how exciting it is that we can join together and and multiply that effort. He gives the example of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and yet he prayed earnestly. Now, I always lifted up Elijah and a lot of these great men and women in the Old Testament. I said, man, they were like super Christians. They were like unbelievable. They don't know what it's like to be me." And James is saying, I'm going to give you some news. They were just like you. They had a nature just like yours. They struggled like you struggle." But he's saying one person, because of his fervent attitude toward prayer, impacted the nation. That's exciting. That's exciting. He gives an example. He says he prayed that it would not rain on the land for three and a half years. And it dried up. His prayers affected the entire nation. And then he says he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced fruit. One man standing in the gap praying for his nation made a difference. So we can make a difference if we believe in prayer, not only here, but if we're willing to commit to be a person of prayer, it can help us individually, it can help us in the body of Christ, and it certainly can help our nation. And if there's any nation that needs some prayer warriors, it's this nation. It's scary to see how our nation is turning their back on God. And somebody goes, what do we do? What do we do? James would say, pray. Be fervent. Don't give up. God is bigger than Congress. Thank God he's bigger than Congress. Before we end with our last point, I want to take just a minute. And I know we're near. You guys need to listen really, really quick. Can we take about 15 seconds? I want us just to have just a chorus of prayer for our nation. Let's just bow together in prayer. Would you take just a few seconds, and God may lead you to to pray for local leaders, state leaders, or national leaders. Let's just bombard heaven and pray for our nation. Father, hear our cries, and I pray, Lord, that that, Lord, you would make a difference in our county, our state, our country. Father, pour out your Spirit on this nation, and I pray that we would be broken before you. And, Father, we want to commit to pray for this country. Thank you for your faithfulness, and I thank you that, Lord, you're much bigger than any one person or group of people in our nation. And so, Father, we commit to you to pour out your blessings on this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. He ends the book of James by saying, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now he doesn't say here, but I think the impl- implication is, you say, what do we do if we know somebody who's fallen off the wagon? And I think everyone knows somebody who was once on fire for God and now has fallen by the wayside. What are we to do for him? I believe the implication is pray for them. Pray for that person. And I love how Paul in Galatians, and I have the text up here. I don't think I'd have it on your notes. But in Galatians 6, Paul says if you see someone overtaken in a sin, go to them in a spirit of gentleness, not in a spirit of judgmental and love on that person. Can I tell you, we all know somebody who has fallen off the wagon. I want to encourage you to begin to pray for them at least on a weekly basis. And make some effort to contact them and just love them with the grace of God. I believe they can come back. And James says that if you can help somebody come back, you've done so, so much. You know, this journey we're on, I am thankful how God has designed this thing. Wouldn't it be great if it was said about us that we were camel knees? Because we spend so much time in prayer and develop so many calluses on our knees because we believe that prayer is so vitally important, that God and God alone is the answer.